0: Good evening. good evening. It's good to have our our normal normal folks back out with us and the ones who are not, we miss them definitely. We're we'll definitely appreciative to have each and everyone here with us tonight. This evening I want us to turn to John chapter four, and we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman's inner encounter, encounters with our Lord and Savior. So I know we talked about John three, sixteen this morning, but we're going to move just one more chapter in John chapter 4 and we're going to discuss or look at the interactions between someone who is from Samaria the Samaritan woman who was caught up in sin and 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 our Lord and Savior so if you have opened your Bible there with me to John chapter 4 we're going to begin reading in the first verse therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Watch stop there before we get into verse 7? So we see uh, Jesus uh, hearing about the, the Pharisees and the troubles that they was continuously arising about him uh, baptizing more disciples than John. So he decided to leave, and he uh, had leaving again to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. There was something significant if you, take, if you understand your Bible history. The Jews would have nothing to do with the Samaritans because they considered them unclean. They they considered them the outcasts or, or the lower class people and they and they did sadly enough, but now we see here, Christ needed to go through Samaria, and of course, this city of Sacher, uh, the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and we see Jesus there. It was about it was about the sixth hour in the day, and we see Jesus wearied from his journey. He was tired needed to take a break so he sat at the well and he just sat there and he waited All right, so now we come to verse seven a woman of samaria came to draw water jesus said to her give me drink that are significant in this there's significance that this woman is coming at the sixth hour instead of the early in the morning to draw the water we see this because she was an outcast herself she, she didn't have the folks didn't have anything to do with her because of the things that Jesus is going to reveal unto her the her lifestyle the things that she was involved in keep in mind she was from Samaria and a Jewish person would have considered all of them unclean and here the Samaritans considers this woman even lower than that for not having any, just cast her out so she's coming at the at noon she's coming at midday to come and draw water and, of course, Jesus was there, and he met her, and he asked her to give me a drink. And, again, that's another significance. We see our Lord and Savior speaking to this woman, caught up in sin, saying, give me a drink. He didn't have anything to draw with, as, we, as we're going to re- re- reveal unto this. And she thinks it's kind of odd that a Jewish person is speaking unto someone who is Samaria. Even though she was caught up in sin, this is Jesus Christ speaking unto her. He did not consider her an outcast. He communed with her, and he asked her a question and even asked her to serve him by giving him a drink. Again, that's another wonderful significance and a characteristic of our Lord and Savior and another characteristic of God as well. And in verse 8, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. He was there by himself with this woman of Samaria. And in verse 9, then the woman of Samaria had said to him how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me a Samaritan woman for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans Jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and it would have given you living water. Notice what Jesus says to this woman right after he asked her to give him a drink, and she has this confounded answer. She says, how is it you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan woman to give me a drink and you being a Jew and a Jew's having nothing to do with the, the, the people of Samaria. Notice what Christ says in the very first part of this statement. If you knew the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life the gift of God is salvation if you knew about salvation what Christ is saying if you knew about the blessings coming from God's grace and who it is who says to you give me a drink and also in like manner what He is saying if you knew the gift of God the blessings that come from God and the person who you are talking to is from God if you knew this You would have asked him, and and he would have given you living water. Now, that's significant. Living water. Us today, we should have that living water protruding from us, or that stream, or that fountain that constantly portrays this living water coming out of us. And that's what Christ is going to describe to this woman. But he says there in the, in the last part of verse 10, if you knew me and knew the gift of God, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now living water, if you was to have a conversation with somebody, living water, what are you talking about living water? Now back then, of course, everybody drank water to stay hydrated and, and they needed that water to either cook or suffice and, and to survive. That's the reason why the well was there in the first place. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Her answer is, Okay, if I ask you of living water, how are you gonna get it? It's the water's way down yonder and you have nothing to draw it with. She was confused. She thought he was talking about that water in the well. That's not living water. Living water is the word of God. Living water is that promise of everlasting life. That water is that representation of Christ's blood and the access that we have with remission of sins. But she couldn't get that just yet. And in verse twelve she continues on. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Now again, if she if he knew who Jesus was, she could answer that. Well yeah, he's much greater than Jacob and this is God himself in human form yes he is greater than Jacob but she couldn't see him that she just seen him as a as a Jewish man sitting there asking him for some water in verse 13 Jesus answered and said to her whoever drinks of this water will thirst again he points at the well this water that you're talking about that water in Jacob's well when you drink of that you're gonna thirst again how many of us ever took a drink of water and you became thirsty once again because it wore off he became th- Of course we will. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now listen to 14 very carefully. But whoever drinks of the water, that I shall give him will never thirst. Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness today? Whenever we hunger and thirst for righteousness, I don't mean that we're deprived. I don't mean that we're we're uh, neglected. That is not what I'm asking. Are we seeking for more? Are we seeking for more instructions from God? Or we should be? Are we yearning for His Word? Are we being filled? From this living water that Christ is talking about. We very well should be. Christ is talking to this Samaritan woman and he's trying to get across to this point. That water in that well can't save you. But the water that I'm referring to will save you. He's talking to her, he's trying to get across to that point. Keep in mind, as we're in here at Booth Chapel in our Bible class, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But previous to this in chapter 13, we're, we're talking about, we were talking about uh, learning and understanding as children. You ever talk to a child about something like your, your mortgage? <laughs> you talk to a child about a mortgage and they're, they're going to be confused. And you're going to lose their attention very quickly. Now when you speak to a child about Jesus, when you talk to a child about the basic principles of Christ, they're able to grasp that. We do that through songs, and we do that through games, and we do that through small learning uh, helps, if you will, for them to grow, for them to learn about Jesus and what he has done for us. And that seed is planted in that child. I can relate to that because I was there once. You was there once. And yes, that seed was planted, but then I went up on my way, sinning willfully, knowing that... What I was doing is displeasing the eyes of God, and I became aware of what I was doing was wrong, and then said, okay, I I, I need need to get right. I know I'm wrong. So thankfully, I had the opportunity to be immersed or be baptized for the remission of our sins, and we began our spiritual walk there, just as I did, putting one foot in front of the other, glorifying God. Now, this Samaritan woman is concerned about the water in the well. Her focus is on that water. Christ says, no, this water that I'm going to give you is from God. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's referring to. But he says a fountain. He makes reference to a fountain. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Someone who is a child of God should be a representation of this fountain. Showing folks what that living water is all about this again the Samaritan woman's a little bit confused and she still is so Christ is trying to describe to her about this living water on a on a level that she's able to understand so here we go in verse 15 the woman said to him sir give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw still confused Give me this water so I may never thirst. I, I, I don't want to be thirsty again. I don't have to come to this well and do all the work and draw all this water and tote all the water back home. I don't want to have to do that. Again, she's confused. She doesn't get the point. And then Jesus really lays it to her. He really focuses her on what she's doing is wrong. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Oops. Again, another uh, characteristic of Jesus. He could see folks' hearts. He, he, that's right, Mark. He already knew. He already knew how, what type of lifestyle she was living, how she was dead in sins, and what she was doing was displeasing even to the community, let alone God. The woman answered and said in verse 17, I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You have well said, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. She's caught in adultery. She's caught in fornication. She's caught in these things that are displeasing the eyes of God. she's caught in sin. Christ knows it, and this woman is aware of it. I have no husband' Yeah, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And in verse 19, uh, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. What's something odd for her to say that use that word worship? Someone who is caught up in sin, living a sinful life and not understanding fully about this living water that christ is referring to using the word worship she says the jews have said this is a place where you ought to worship yeah i agree with that ought in other words you should you ought to be verse 21 jesus said jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem worship the father you worship what you do not know you know excuse me we know that we worship for salvation is of the jews I going to stop there in verse 22. now if we want to stop at verse 22 and read nothing else if you're not jew if you're not a jewish person you'd be lost because is it not say salvation is of the jews again context is important Keep in mind, Jesus is using that relationship with her knowledge of those who are Jews. And he says this unto her to to prick her ears, to open them up, and to get her to pay attention to what he's talking about. The hour is coming, in verse 21, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. What he's talking about is no particular place. You're not going to necessarily worship here. You're not going to worship here. You're going to be worshiping God all the time. There's going to be a time. And it's coming at that time. It's coming that you're going to worship God. Not necessarily in Jerusalem. Not necessarily on this mountain. But continuously. Just as Christ did. In verse 22, You know, uh, you worship what you do not know. All right. You worship what you do not know. The word worship. right? Taking consideration, putting before, and having focus on that one particular thing. She did not know God. She did not know God. Nor did she not know Jesus Christ, whom she's speaking to right now. She did not know the will of God, nor did she can understand about everlasting water, everlasting life. She did not understand for he tells her, you worship what you do not know. We know that the worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now as the Jews, previous to them rejecting Christ, crucifying him on the cross, previous to this, them stumbling at the stumbling stone, being Christ, they were God's chosen people. They're Their... their uh, Uh, their, Their reservation, their, I can't think of the word now, I just lost it. It's reserved for them for salvation. It was for the Jews. They were God's chosen people. And of course, them knowing that the Messiah was coming, he came. A lot of them could not realize that he was the Messiah. They stumbled and they lost their relationship to God. And then salvation become available to the Gentiles. That's you and I. For as salvation came available unto us, listen to verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. All right, let's stop there in verse 24. Notice what he says in verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is. The Jews knew it was coming. They understood. It's been prophesied that the Messiah was coming. The kingdom of heaven was coming, and now is. Christ is talking to her. Now is the time. Now is the time to truly worship the Father. Now, whenever he says true worshipers, in such that the Father is seeking whom to worship him, do we really understand what true worshipers are? Jesus Christ was a good representation of a true worshiper, putting God first in our everyday walk of life, staying connected to him, not having anything to do with sin. Being obedient unto death and that's what we're talking about about this everlasting life or everlasting water excuse me springing up into us that fountain notice in verse 14 remember what we just said but whoever drinks of this water sh- uh, that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life let me ask you something a true worshiper Someone who is truly putting God first in their everyday walk of life, not just on Wednesday, not just on Sunday, but every single day. How many folks are we talking to about salvation? How many? Are we showing them what, what Christianity looks like? And I mean just showing it to them. Behaving like a Christian, not behaving like the world. Because if you're behaving like the world, you are not a true worshiper. At all. You are not God's if you are behaving like the world. Keep in mind, we died to the world. We made reference to that this morning about dying to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. But God is seeking. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. And that seeking happens today. My representation or my example for that is a fisherman. A fisherman. How many of y'all have been fishing with a a hook, a sinker, and a bobber? Sitting there and got that line out there. Your bait's on there. You're waiting for that that fish, right? Well, that's a representation of God. The bait is there. His Word, (coughs) the promise of everlasting life, a promise of a better life, way better life than this one here today. And the hook. Well, the difference between God's bait, hook, and sinker is that fish dies. Whenever you catch it, it dies, typically. Because typically you're going to catch it and eat it. God's bait, hook, and sinker protrudes into everlasting life. When someone partakes of this bait or the God's Word and he, he, or, he or she partakes of it, dives into it, studies it, and learns what God would have them to do and does it, now that's a true worshiper. That's whom God is seeking through His Word. Now let me ask you this. In representation again back in verse 14 of this fountain springing up to everlasting water. We well, was up there in the mountains, and out there in the, uh, the island, uh, there's a fountain, and it, and it dances with the music every hour and a half hour, every, every 30 minutes. And we sat there and watched that thing a few times while we were relaxing after walking up and down, and all the ladies were doing their shopping, and we watched that water dancing. And my mind went to thinking, you know what? That's like a, a fountain that's springing to everlasting life. It comes and it goes. As a child of God, unfortunately, that's how we are. It comes and it goes. It can't be that way. Christ is referring to this fountain that continuously flows. Continuously flows. That needs to be the true worshiper or the child of God that we should be. A continuous flow of God's word. Now, that's not saying we're going to falter. Uh, that's set aside. That we know that we're going to falter. We know that we're going to stumble. God allows us an access out of that. This lesson is, is not designed to encourage, to uh, to teach of that. This lesson is designed to teach: if you are lost and dead in sins, you can come out of it. This Samaritan woman was done, uh, doing that very same thing. She was caught in sin, and Jesus was trying to show one to her because God is seeking those true worshipers to worship him and verse 24 God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth notice what Christ says: that God is spirit whenever we come to Christ and we come to God through Christ we got to do it in truth and spirit remember what Nicodemus came to Christ And that question how must one be born again he said we must be born again and I just lost the thought water and spirit does he not say spirit and water he does so when we think about following God we think about putting him first in our everyday walk of life I want to encourage something do not be like this Samaritan woman being ignorant according to God's Word she was she had no idea She knew that there was a God but she didn't know how to worship him God's instructions are here before us in his word because she says something very significant in verse 25 listen to what she says the woman said to him I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ when he comes he will tell us all things no better true statement has been made and little did she know before this next statement that exactly who she was talking to was this very same messiah or christ notice what christ says to her. i could just see her persona i could just see her demeanor whenever christ says this i mean just in all listen to what he says in verse 26 jesus said to her I who speak to you am He. In other words, I am this Christ. I am this Messiah that you know that you know is coming. He's standing here or sitting here talking to you at this well, which is called Jacob's Well. Could you imagine her demeanor? Going, whoa! The back, of the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I could just imagine hers done the very same thing about her meeting her Messiah. And realizing where she was is not a very good state. We are all going to meet our Messiah one day. A lot of folks are going to be before Christ in the same state as this woman. Unknowing, unlearned, and unsaved. That being lost. And that's going to be a sad time. And of course if we if we carry on in this uh at that reading we see her we see christ tell this woman to go into the town and and tell everyone after his disciples come back and she goes and tells this christ is here he's come y'all need to come check him out he pricked her heart he encouraged her now previous to this this woman was an outcast she did not want that confrontation or those those glares you know how folks get that glare and that those back talkings, and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's here. That type of, she didn't want to have to endure that. So she came at noon to draw her water. Here she goes into town and tells all that she come in contact with, says the Messiah's here. He is here. Y'all need to come. Well, we're, this lesson stops in verse 26 about Christ telling her, I am I who speak to you am he. Jesus Christ speaks to us today through his word. How are we going to be found on judgment day? Are we going to be found unknown, unlearned, uninformed? Are we going to stand before God being a true worshiper? At that true worshiper of putting God first in our everyday walk of life. If you are doing that, well done. Because those things are going to be what we're going to hear if we're faithful if we're found justified on Judgment Day. It is my prayer that all will be there, standing justified. But unfortunately, we stumble and we fall short, like I said previously. And we sin and we are overtaken with the snares of the devil. And we take that short walk with Satan. We can tell Satan, get away from me, or get behind me, or I want nothing to do with you. We can tell him that tonight. We can tell you that as you are listening to this message. Why take another breath with Satan? Why not take it with God? By repenting of your sins, confessing your shortcomings, and praying to God that he will forgive you of those sins if and only if you have been immersed or baptized for the remission of sins. And I will implore this. Baptism is how you became or become a follower or a true worshiper of God. Keep in mind what Christ says. I will say this many times and I will continue to say it. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Christ says in John 14, 6. We got to have Christ if we, if we are to get to God. Are you outside of Christ listening to this message? Be immersed or baptized for the remission of those sins. Because you cannot take your spiritual begin your spiritual walk unless you do so. For Christ, he does say and teach in John fifteen five that, for without me we can do nothing. Unattached from that true vine, of that parable, of that true vine gathered together to be burned in those last days. So Jesus Christ is imploring, come unto me, and be that everlasting fountain, springing up to, or oh, that fountain springing up into everlasting water. Is that us tonight? Are we pleasing in the eyes of God? I seriously hope so, because he is just like that father of that prodigal son, looking a great way off, welcoming you to come back. Does that need to happen tonight? There is no reason you should walk out of these doors being lost. Why don't we repent of our repent of our sins, asking for forgiveness, confessing those sins, and we'll pray for those sins to be remitted. Does that need to happen this this evening? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation?